0: Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening and if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information Now here's your podcast
1: Morning church this morning's uh, scripture reading is taken from second Peter chapter 3 verse 3 to 15. I'll be reading off the New International Version. Above all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation but they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's words, the heaven came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth, where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him.
0: Such a joy to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Today, we are on the third of four of our sermons for the series As You Go. You would have heard over the last two Sundays, and and may I first say that I'm so encouraged and exhorted by our lay pastor Caleb. Uh, who opened us with that first sermon of the series. How many were here for that? Yes, are you encouraged? It's so great, isn't it, to, to see him growing in this, in this call that God has on his life. Um, Caleb spoke about Jesus sending the disciples out into the world and his specific instructions on where they should go and how they should focus their efforts were well, this, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of God uh, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And so today I want to talk about as you go, go to the unsaved. And from today's scripture text, you might be wondering what this scripture text has to do with going to the unsaved. And if you are thinking this way, you would be correct. Because this Bible passage we find in 2 Peter does not deal with the topic of evangelism or the winning of lost souls head on. The context of this passage is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Peter, we find a letter written by the Apostle Peter, probably around the time of 65 AD. And this is about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By this time, Christianity was on the rise and under intense and systemic persecution. It is believed that Apostle Peter, at the point of writing this letter, was in prison in Rome awaiting trial. Most commentators believe that Apostle Peter knew that his end was near as he wrote this letter. And true enough, within a few years of writing 2 Peter, he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. And Tradition has it that he requested to be crucified upside down so as not to be equated with Christ. Can you imagine that? And so Apostle Peter writes this letter to his readers, not for fun. There was certainly something important that he wanted to say, and it really has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ. You might be familiar with this mantra we say as part of liturgy for Holy Communion. Not here, but you might have heard this. It goes like this, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This is our hope, this is our belief, this is the truth. We call it the mystery of faith, and this is what we believe. And from this truth is power to live rightly before God. And so today I want to first unpack this biblical text for us, and then I'll share a few points on what this text has to do with being sent or going to the... The unsaved. Is that okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done in and through us. We know, Lord, through the last two Sunday sermons that we have been called not just to be your disciples but to also bear your message to those who do not yet know you. So, Lord, today speak to us encourage us, empower us, and once again send us out because we are truly your people and we yearn to have more of you in our lives. We yearn for you to be known in the world. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now it is believed that Apostle Peter wrote this letter to the churches in Asia Minor, which is where Turkey is today. The reason he wrote this letter is to remind the Christians to live godly lives in light of Christ's return. And we see this main theme running through all the three chapters of 2 Peter. And I want to just bring us through Apostle Peter's main points. And in doing so, I think you'll come to see the relevance and the urgency conveyed through God's word for those who are yet saved by him. In chapter 1 of Second Peter, Apostle Peter begins by saying this, and let's just read these two verses together. Ready? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Apostle Peter reminds the Christians at the time, who were going through persecution, poverty, and all kinds of suffering, and he tells them, as he is telling us now, that God has called us to participate in his divine nature. Now, we who are human because of the gospel of Christ, because of what Jesus has done for us, are now made alive to God. And so our spirits are alive in Christ and are then able to participate in God's divine nature. And that nature is seen or evidenced in us in the living out of godly lives. And this is the first point out of three that I want, to, want us to take home today. And I say it this way. God is calling us to participate in the divine nature. God is calling us to participate in his divine nature. What this means is that our very human and sinful nature has changed into a divine nature our spirits alive to Christ the moment we repented of our sin and put our trust in God. As you know, we as human beings are spiritual beings, right? We say this before, we are spirit, we have a soul or heart or mind, and we live in a body. Our spirits are alive to Christ because we have accepted Jesus into our hearts, Our spirits want and desire to participate in the divine nature, but our flesh wants what is sinful. And so there's this battle that goes on within each of us all the time. Do we follow the divine nature or the fleshly nature? And the answer to that question lies in the domain of the heart or the mind or the soul, whichever you want to call it, right? And so for this first point, God is calling us to participate in the divine nature. What this means is that God is calling us to order our lives, order this central part towards godliness. And in our tradition, we call it holiness. And you you might have heard this phrase used in Christian circles, God sees your heart. Have you heard that before? How many have heard this? Yes? Yes? It's true, right? God sees your heart. So if you say to someone, I really wanted to go to church, I really tried, and the person says to you, God sees your heart, it actually means two different things. It can mean two different things, right? It could mean that God knows you were truly sincere and you really tried, but somehow the flesh is weak, so all is forgiven. God is gracious and he is merciful. But the other way is also true, which is that God searches our hearts and he sees every intention and every motive. And if we are found to be insincere, we didn't really try, we didn't really bother, then God also sees the hardness of our hearts. Am I right? So many times we use this phrase because we want to give ourselves and we want to give the other person kind of like an excuse to end the conversation and move on to something else. We don't want to confront what might be going on. Can I say that? Please don't shoot arrows at me after the service. (laughs) We might not want to admit to God that he is not only concerned with our hearts, he is also concerned with our actions, our words, our entire lives lived out in this world. And so this brings me to our second point, that godly living necessarily follows godly nature. Godly living necessarily follows godly nature. And this is stated for us very glaringly in verse 3 of chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need. For a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. This means that if you truly believe in Christ and have accepted the Lord Jesus into your heart, then God has given you all that you need to live a godly life. And the fruits that you bear will testify to that godly nature. What is in your heart will necessarily come out through your words and actions. So godly living necessarily follows godly nature, and that's a biblical principle. Now these days, well, over the course of many years of Christian service, these days, until now, some friends will tell me, You know, this person is quite good, very talented, lots of potential, always comes to church and sings in the choir, for example. Now, even though he or she always goes out to party late Saturday night and reports late on Sunday morning, but it's okay because God sees his heart. At least he tries. Now, the question I asked when faced with that situation is that, is that has anyone spoken to this person? Has any leader, ministry leader, or a good friend in church come alongside to walk with him, to correct him, to support him and help him along in this path of discipleship? Now, please don't get me wrong. We cannot expect everyone to be perfect right off the bat. In fact, we cannot expect anyone to be perfect at all. But godliness is a process. We grow in holiness. And we must depend on God's grace to help us walk in obedience so that we grow towards godliness and Christian perfection. The key point here is that we must be growing. And let's read this verses 5 to 8 that Apostle Peter writes together. For this very reason, make every effort... To add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective And unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The key phrase there is in increasing measure. We must be growing in our faith, which is demonstrated through godly living. I am sad to report that these days it seems the world is going or progressing in decreasing measure. In the opposite direction, as we we heard Sam speaking last week, it seems to me there are many culturally accepted ways of doing things these days that previously were not so well accepted. The line between belief and morality is getting increasingly blurred. Some examples, premarital sexual activity, Living together before marriage, drunkenness, entertainment for business, etc. Some of these things have become the norm for our younger generations. And what's even worse, it has become uncool to disagree or to exercise any form of curbing of what they would call their freedom. Instead of adding to faith goodness and knowledge and self-control, the world is all out for freedom. No need for self-control. You should be free to do whatever you please whenever you want. Instead of perseverance towards godliness, the insistence is on gratifying the flesh. The idea of individualism, of freedom to be yourself. And here's the kicker, all this, they say, is what love is. And yet we know as a community of faith, as a people of truth, that this is exactly opposite of what godly love, or what our Lord and his gospel stands for. And that way will lead to destruction. Why is this happening? How did this happen? Now let's read together chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 of Apostle Peter's letter. Together. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Do you see it? Apostle Peter centuries ago already pinpointed the problem that the church would face today, a distortion of the truth. And this brings me to the last point I want to highlight from 2 Peter, and it is this. God will eventually exercise judgment. God will eventually exercise judgment. Now, I know we don't like to hear sermons of fire and brimstone. I myself don't like to speak about judgment. But unfortunately, the text is very clear. We like to say God sees the heart. We like to say once saved, always saved. But sometimes we use these phrases to misdirect ourselves because we want to give ourselves excuses to do the things we want to do without thought about what pleases God or what godly living requires of us. We are saved by God's grace, yes. But his grace must not be rendered cheap. Apostle Peter goes on to write, and I'll read this for us because it is quite long. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others... If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Salvation is given to us by faith, not by works. Let's be very clear. But our salvation must be worked out and demonstrated for all to see. That is why discipleship is so important. That is why repentance daily, continually is so important. That's why growing in faith and obedience is so essential. God will eventually exercise judgment, that is the truth. And yet with these three points in mind, do not despair, we're not done yet, (laughs) all right? We come to our passage for today. Let's read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Together, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now everything we've just heard, now now Apostle Peter says there will be scoffers coming. right? And this is the new people group he has used. Scoffers will come. And basically what will they do? They will mock everything that you've just heard the truth that has just been presented. And they will mock Christians who are living godly lives in light of the return of Jesus Christ. Why will they do this? Because they themselves are following their own evil desires. And they want Christians to stop living godly lives. They want Christians to stop sharing the gospel. They want Christians to go along with what they are doing. Now, let me summarize the two arguments that these scoffers make, right? And I want us to note also that these scoffers are not a mutually exclusive group, okay? They can be Christians or they can be non-Christians. They can be in the church or outside of the church. The only defining characteristic of scoffers is that they are living their own evil desires, all right? Now, let me summarize the two arguments, and they are found in verse 4, right? Verse 4 says, They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, argument 1 is found in the first part of the verse. Where is this coming? He promised. In essence, the argument is that since the uh, the second coming of Christ is so long delayed, it is safe to say that He's not going to come back. The second argument is found in the second half of verse 4. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. The argument is that the universe is a stable universe. It has been stable for centuries, so there's no reason to think that one day it will come to an end. Are you following me? Good? Okay. Now, what do you think of these two arguments? Can we as Christians living in the modern society, modern world, sympathize with these two arguments? I think we can. Right? Because the second coming has not happened. Right? So we can sympathize with this. Now, here are the counter-arguments that, said, that Apostle Peter makes. In response to argument two, two counter-arguments. The first is that the universe and all of creation and its order or its pattern hangs on God's word. It hangs on God's word. By his word, the laws of nature work and have their order. Apostle Peter writes it this way. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The universe was created by God's word, sustained by God's word. And the very element that God used to create and sustain the world, and that is water, God could very well redirect towards destruction. It is God's word that creation hangs on. Now the second counter-argument is that things have not continued as they were from the beginning. There was a time when the world was destroyed by God's word through a flood. And the reminder is that God can alter the course of nature and of history by his very word. He can. He has done so once before, and he will do it again at the last day. Now, in response to argument one, are we, are we following? Have I lost you? <laughs> All right, good. In response to argument one, now can we have argument one? Yes. Now, Apostle Peter says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you notice that as you grow older, time seems to move faster? Uh, Or when you are enjoying yourself, time seems to pass quicker, and you're going through something difficult, time just seems to creep along. Now, God created time, and he stands outside of it. We do not. But because we are created in his image, we can, in some mysterious way, experience time somewhat, somewhat similarly sometimes. And that's why I think time seems to go by quicker when we are in a joyful state. Or when we are older and we look back, we say, it seemed like just yesterday, you know, I did this or that. And I've just come to that point in my life. Not, not really looking forward to... I hit the big four zero in like two years, so not looking forward to that. But what seems like a delay in Christ's return, Apostle Peter says, is God exercising patience because he wants no one to perish but all to come to repentance. Are we getting this today? Now let me summarize the three points. God is calling us to participate in the divine nature. Godly living necessarily follows that godly nature. And lastly, God will eventually exercise judgment. As I close today's message, let me highlight for us what Second Peter has to do with going to the unsaved. It's just one point, and it's right there uh, um, on the verse, and that is God's heart is for the unsaved, not against them. God's heart is for the unsaved. And this is clear. God is unwilling for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance and be saved. And the call to us who are saved is to bring that call, God's call, to them. Tell them the good news. Call them to participate in the divine nature and to disciple them into godly living. Because at the end, God will exercise judgment. Today, I really want us to understand this, the call to evangelism or mission or to be God's light in this world or to tell or show the good news of Christ, whichever is your favorite way of looking at it. This call is situated within that call to discipleship. It is situated within that call to Christian maturity and godly living, not outside of it. This call is not an add-on. It is not an optional purchase. It is part of our discipleship. The encouragement we have is that God has not left us alone in this call. He has given us three things, and I want us to remember this. First, as verse 3 has told us, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us and as Caleb reminded us from the gospel of Matthew that power is available power to heal the sick raise the dead cleanse those who have leprosy drive out demons that power is real and it's alive today now that does not mean you go into the hospitals and raise all the or go to the morgue and raise all the dead okay This is situated in godly living, meaning that this has to be part of your discipleship journey, your relationship with God, and the living out of obedience in this world. Second, God's grace. Remember that God's prevenient grace is literally grace that goes before, or grace that goes ahead of us. And this grace can become justifying grace, where a person receives grace for salvation. And lastly, and the best of all, is God is with us. God's presence, his holy presence, his spirit is with us in every endeavor and every prayer for salvation of someone who has not yet come to Jesus. And the promise Is given, of course, you know, in Matthew 28. If we are going and making disciples, then God is with us even to the very end of the age. And that is huge. That is huge. So every time you have an opportunity and you feel the prompting of the Spirit to say something to someone, remember that God, is with you. You have this huge giant right next to you. That, that is something you can take courage in. Now, right now, I want to just make sure that we take this call to mission and evangelism and to going to the unsafe very seriously. And I want us to be without excuse in this area of our own journeys of discipleship. So I'm going to ask our greeters, where are you? Yes, can we give out those cards? There's no significance to using these particular cards, but I, I figured we have so many of them in the office. Now, I want each one to take one card, all right? You would have seen these before. You can take more than one. You can take a whole set if you want, all right? But at least one. And I'll tell you what we're going to do with that. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to give it to someone. (laughs) And our greeters will come around again with a pen. Because we're going to write something on that card. and take a pen or if you have a pen take out your pen and I would ask that if you took a pen from our greeters please return the pen after we only have 30 of this I I counted so (laughs) please return them okay on one side of the card you will see the picture of our church uh, building our church center right and you see that cross in the middle of it. On the left side of that cross, I want you to write your own name. On the left side of the cross, write your own name. And what we are going to do after that, prayerfully, and I want you to, at this point, just be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is leading you. On the right side of that cross, I want you to write the name of one person, just one person who has not yet come to know the Lord, one person that you know God is leading you to reach out to. Just one person. Of course, if you have a whole list of names, you can squeeze it in there or get another card. All right? But as a start, just one person. And do this prayerfully. All right? And don't tell me there's no one. I'll find someone for you. (laughs) All right? Now, this could be a family member or a friend or someone you just see in the office once in a few days. Someone you know that in your heart, God is kind of nudging you. And I'm going to close in prayer by praying for all those names that you've written on that card. And I'll invite the praise team to come forward as well. Have you written the names? Yes? Anyone needs a bit more time? No? Okay. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for calling us to be your people, calling us into this journey of discipleship. And Lord, you know what how difficult it is to be challenged in this area of discipleship, to be challenged in evangelism and mission to face rejection, possible rejection to face ridicule even sometimes but Lord we take your example because you were rejected you were ridiculed and mocked and so Lord since you have overcome we know that you can also help us to overcome. It is your power, your grace and your presence that grants us the courage that we need to participate in what you are doing in the lives of our family, friends, co-workers, all those names right now on those cards, Lord, we lift to you because we know that your heart Is for them. So Lord, we we are just your messengers. We are just your conduits of service. And we pray, Lord, for each of these names. That right now your spirit will draw near to them. That Lord, you will speak your word to them. We pray that you speak in many different ways, including through us, that we may have the privilege of bringing this person to Christ. But we lift these names to you, knowing that you love them first. We thank you, Lord. We lift them to you. We thank you for your love for them, that you are already working in their hearts and in their lives. We pray with confident hope, because you are a God who is able. You are a God who is mighty. You are a God who truly saves. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now we are going to respond. Um, would you stand? We're going to respond uh, with a song. Uh, and towards the end of this song, Uh, what I would like to do is give us um, an invitation to come forward and be prayed for. Even in my own uh, journey of discipleship, I think it's very tempting to put put aside this call to evangelism, this call to mission, and say, it's fine as long as I live a godly life, this thing is completely separate, but it's not. There is not one person who can claim to be spiritually mature if they are not involved in reaching the unsaved. That is the truth. It is part of our individual journeys of discipleship. And I really want us to get this today. We cannot shy away from this. We cannot make excuses. This is essential. So, as we sing this song, if you are wanting to be prayed for, if you feel in your heart that God is really challenging you in this area of your own discipleship, come forward. And there are some of us here ready to just pray for you or pray with you. All right?